All right, what's up, City Hope? How's everybody doing? It's good to see you guys. Um, listen, at the end of that video just a moment ago, I felt like you wanted to erupt in applause and you didn't get that the proper chance um, because of the Middle East and what all we're doing and what we're a part of there. So let me, let me just give you that opportunity. If you want to clap for what God is doing in the Middle East, I want you to put your hands together. It's absolutely amazing, and I'm, I'm so pumped that we're a part of it, that we get to be a part of this, and we're going to be sharing more and more as it, as it unfolds, but, um, but it's amazing. I just love that we, literally the darkest place on earth, we get to be a part of bringing light to that place, and I'm excited about that. Well, listen, welcome to Church Day. It's great to have you guys with us. Um, all of our campuses, um, everybody that's watching online, which I imagine may be a little bit more today than usual, um, it's a spring break for a lot of our schools. So if you're on spring break right now, welcome to City Hope. We're so just proud of you, really, for, you know, in the middle of your beach week or whatever, you are um, at church online. So good job. Um, and then all the guys at the Correctional Center, it's so good to have you guys in church with us today, too. Uh, we're in part three of The Son of Man, and I'm excited to jump into that. Uh, but first, let me just add a little bit, a little bit more on to next weekend, uh, because Easter obviously is a really really big deal, and we're going to have a blast. It's going to be an incredible, incredible day, um, but I just want us to remember what next weekend is really all about. Um, I, you know, we're going to have incredible crowds, and God's going to do incredible things, but at the end of it all, we're celebrating what Jesus did, that he is alive, that, 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 that Good Friday and the cross did not end the story. Is anybody else thankful that Good Friday and the cross did not end the story? He wasn't done. Uh, he wasn't finished, and just like he's, he wasn't finished and resurrection life came on Easter Sunday, that's exactly what happened to me and to a lot of us here. Uh, and I believe that that same life God's wanting to bring into so many stories and so many people's lives. So next weekend, we're going to celebrate that, and we're going to have a blast doing it. So don't miss it. Um, we've added a ton of services, so make sure you do everything that you can do to get people here. All right? All right, so the Son of Man Part 3. Are you guys enjoying this series so far? Has this been good? Okay, good. Um, Today we're going we're gonna to kind of continue this journey of the Gospel of Luke and continue kind of down this path of exploring some of the big themes in the Gospel of Luke. And if you missed the first week, you definitely need to go back and kind of jump in and just, because um, I'm not going to do a lot of the backstory today, but uh, week one we did that. So if you want to kind of go back and, and find out a little bit more of what we've been talking about. But today I want to unpack one of the themes that is um, all the way through the Gospel of Luke, especially in one particular section. Uh, but this theme in the Gospel of Luke is this, that Jesus is for everyone. Jesus is for everyone. And for most of us, we think, yeah, we know that. Jesus, we know that. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Like, we understand that Jesus is for everyone. But when Luke was writing this, Luke was a Gentile writing to Gentiles. He, it was a completely different context. If we could go back and put ourselves in a first century Jewish context, that would completely blow our mind that Jesus was for everyone. That Jesus is for the sinner. Jesus is for the saint. Jesus is for the Samaritan, the Gentile. Jesus is for the, the least of these and the most of these. Jesus is literally for everyone. And this is such a big deal that there are no distinctions or barriers. There's nothing that stops the love of Jesus. Nothing that stops the love of Jesus. There's no lifestyle decision or choice. There's no difference of values or the way someone lives or the way they don't live or whatever that would ever keep them away from the love of Jesus. It's as if Jesus has these big, massive, strong arms that are completely inclusive, 
that he is just grabbing and pulling as many people to him as he possibly can. And this is what Luke is trying to communicate to us, that Jesus is for everyone. And there's one particular section that I want to talk about is, is chapters 9 through 19. It's the largest section in the book, and it's the road trip, as I like to call it. I don't know about you, but um, some of the greatest stories and, and moments in my life have been on a road trip. Uh, whenever I was a kid, just epic, amazing moments on road trips, uh, being a teenager and things like youth camp or the first trip with all my buddies, uh, to now getting to wrangle a bunch of little hooligans on every trip that, uh, you know, kids kids, right? Like whatever it is, some of the greatest stories of my life have been on road trips. And this section of the gospel of Luke is that it's a road trip because Jesus is going town to town, village to village, getting to Jerusalem. And all along the way, Luke is recording all of these incredible stories along the way to Jerusalem. So it actually ends this section of the gospel of Luke actually ends with Palm Sunday. He steps right into the city and we step right into Palm Sunday. Okay, it's all about, there's so many amazing things in this section of Luke, but one of the biggest ones is this desire that Jesus has for the lost, for everyone. And Jesus himself sums it up this way in Luke 19, verse 10. He says this, and this is actually one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Jesus says, for the Son of Man, again, referring to himself in the third person as the Son of Man, go back to week one, we'll fill you in on that. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Why did he come? Jesus says, just plain and simple, guys, this is the reason I'm here. And I love the word seek because it's an action word. There's there's something behind that that's powerful. But Jesus said, listen, I'm here to seek and save the lost, not just the religious and the righteous and the put together and and the got, got all their stuff going on. No, no, I'm here for everyone. And it's not just that I'm here for them, but I'm actually gonna go get them. I'm actually gonna go get them. Several years ago, probably three or four years ago, uh, my family and my brother's family, we were down at the Gulf hanging out at the beach. And uh, he, my brother and I were out in the water, and we had a ball. We were just kind of throwing back and forth. And um, it's a pretty amazing ball. I don't know why I like to comment on the ball, but it, it, it is amazing. Um, I don't know if you've seen these, but it's this ball that doesn't sink. It just skips. Like, I feel like I'm a little kid, like, skipping a rock, and it never fails. It's always perfect. Anybody? Nobody? Okay, good deal. I'm awesome. Um, it's a marvel of technology. I don't understand it. But every time you throw it, it skips beautifully. Anyway, we're out, just grown men, but acting like boys, um, throwing this ball back and forth. And all of a sudden, I look down and realize that my wedding band is gone. Exactly. Exactly. Did you hear that? Oh, my goodness. She's going to kill him. Yes, right? Right? It's, this is a big deal. My wedding band is gone. It's complete. I'm in the Gulf. Like, I'm 50 feet out in the water. There's no way I'm going to find it. But what do you think I did? I went looking for it. Murky water and all. No goggles. I'm down. I'm trying my best to find it. I did not find it, but I was not going to walk up on that shore and tell my wife that I lost it without at least being able to say, but babe, I looked for it. I dove in the water, I swam around like I'm going to find it, right? Like it's gone, it's done. A couple years ago when my youngest daughter, she's now seven, when she was four, uh, she went through this little phase where it, no matter what store we were in, um, and she enjoyed it at the bigger stores, um, but she would hide from us. She would sneak away and get in a clothing rack or she would kind of get around a corner or something where she would hide from us and she was so good at it, she would not make a peep. And it seems like the more panicked our yelling was, the quieter she got. 
And it's like she would just vanish and just, just completely invisible. And to the point that at times we were terrified, panicked. I mean, what if the worst case scenario happened? And we're just completely scared. But here's the thing about that moment with my daughter is that I would have gone full Liam Neeson, taken, right? I have a particular set of skills that I will use them in this moment and I will throw racks over, I will run through walls, I will do whatever I can do because my little girl was missing, right? Now the ring is a different kind of thing because it's just an object, it's just something that technically can be replaced. I know it's sentimental and there's all these things attached to it, but my little girl is a completely different thing. I would have done anything to find her. Let me say it this way, as clearly as I can say it, that the intensity of your search is directly connected to how much you love with that which is lost, right? The intensity that I'm going to search after that lost thing is directly connected to how much love I have for that lost thing. And what Jesus was saying was, this is the reason I came to this planet, was to find lost people, not things, not systems, not, not whatever, I came to find lost people. And this is what he's saying over and over again through his life, not just his words, but through his life, through his values, through the, the priorities that he puts forward. Everything is about lost people. And Luke records this, this over and over and over again. And I love the way Luke records it because it's not just healings and it's not just teaching that Jesus does. He, he goes a step further, and honestly, one of the most repeated ways that Jesus does this, that Jesus goes after lost people, is through parties. Parties. Like, honestly, Luke talks about more parties than almost anything else in a 10-chapter span. As a matter of fact, Luke report, records more parties than any other gospel. But in this section of the gospel, there's party after party after party. Not only is Jesus at a party, but he's talking about parties. He's telling parables about parties over and over and over again. We could even say that Jesus was a party animal. Have you ever thought about your Savior and King as a party animal? Probably not. But if you listen to what he says and you watch what he does, you see him entering into parties that good Christian church people would have never entered into. But he does it over and over and over again. As a matter of fact, there's two different kinds of parties that, he, that he's a, in, a part of uh, or he's talking about. One of those is with religious people, just the religious elite. And every single one of those instances, there's one in Luke 11 and Luke 14. Both of those, Jesus creates such a problem that there is a, there's a disruption there. I mean, he doesn't wash his hands right. He, he talks to the wrong person. He lets the wrong person come in and talk to him. He's constantly breaking the rules and creating a disruption. The same exact thing happens with the other type of party, which is the party that he has with the outcasts, the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the people that the religious people would never even talk to, much less sit and eat with at a banquet or a party or a dinner. But this is what Jesus does over and over and over again. It's weird. It's crazy because we don't see him that way. And it's interesting to me that even whenever I say that, it's like it doesn't connect with us. But if you read this gospel, you see it over and over again. There's two particular parties um, that happen in that span of time that I want to kind of unpack real quick. Um, both of them you've heard of before. Both of them, most of us in the room, we would have seen them before or experienced them before. Uh, but Jesus kind of talks about there's two different ones that I want to unpack. Uh, one of them, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but sometimes I just have random thoughts and I wonder what a normal day for Jesus would have looked like. 
Um, you know, because he's fully man. So when he, when he wakes up in the morning, does he always wake up on the right side of the bed or the rock or the whatever? Like, right? Does, like, like, how does he start his day? Does he eat a good breakfast? Like, was it the, as important then as it is now? Is it, was it the best meal of the day then too? I don't know, right? But Jesus was a normal guy, so he gets up and he goes about a normal day. And so in Luke 15, we pick up this story that to me, it's repeated and you feel this so often that it feels like the most normal day in the life of Jesus. And this is the way it starts. Luke 15 verse 1 says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners, they were all gathering around to hear Jesus. To me, Jesus just woke up, he ate his breakfast, he walks into town, and before he could even do anything, all of a sudden, sinners and heathens and outcasts and Samaritans and Gentiles and all these people all of a sudden started gathering around him. Like he hasn't even really done anything yet. Look at, I mean, he hasn't done anything. He literally just walks into town and boom, they gather around him. And then immediately, look what the Pharisees do. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Immediately, the religious elite push back, right? Normal day for Jesus, would you agree, right? This just feels like this is what he does. The, the outcasts come closer, the Pharisees point their fingers and they mutter, this is a normal day for Jesus. In this scenario right here, the way Jesus handles this, is extremely important, okay? It's extremely important because uh, for me, whenever I'm trying to tell my kids something, um, I typically have to tell them three times before they actually hear me. Uh, does that happen in anybody else's home? Get out of the street, get out of the street, get out of the street, and then they decide to move, right? It just, it takes multiple times and they'll hear it. It's exactly what Jesus does in Luke 15. He tells three stories to emphasize the exact same point over and over and over again. He's saying, let me get this in your head. You, you, you've, been, you've been living by a certain system your entire life. You've thought a certain thing your entire life. I'm going to have to tell you over and over and over and over again so that you understand why I'm doing what I'm doing. And so Jesus launches into not one but three stories that are extremely similar. And mo most of us have heard them before. All three stories have three things in common. There's something lost, there's something found, and there's a party. Something lost, something found, and there's a party. The first one is about a sheep. One sheep out of a hundred is lost, and the shepherd goes, and he, he turns everything upside down, throws caution to the wind to find the one. He brings it back home. He calls all of his friends in. They throw a party because the one has been found. Jesus says this is exactly what all of heaven does when one person that is lost is found. Then he tells a story about a coin and a woman who's lost one coin. The woman turns her house upside down. She just rips the place apart to find one coin. She finds it. She calls all of her friends over and throws a party. And Jesus says, this is exactly what all of heaven does whenever one person that is lost comes to know me, when one lost person is found. Right? There's this pattern that's being repeated. There's this pattern that's happening, and it always ends with a party. And Jesus always connects it to this is what happens in heaven. Right? When life change happens, when someone that is lost is found, there's going to be a celebration. There's going to be a party. This is why we celebrate whenever someone gives their life to Jesus Christ, because it's, it's party worthy. It's what all of heaven is doing. Just maybe in that moment that heaven is celebrating and we're celebrating life change, just maybe we're closer to heaven then than any other time. That the veil is so thin because heaven is celebrating and we're celebrating. Why? Because one that is lost is now found. Right? So then the third story begins and it almost feels very, very similar. Again, something lost, something found, and then, the, and then there's a party. But there's something a little bit different about this story. It's the story of the prodigal son. 
And this party is the one that really creates some disruption. Okay, because now Jesus is all of a sudden being very, very clear about what's happening. He's literally talking about a person that goes to their dad and says, listen, I want all that's mine, all that I'm owed. Um, basically spitting in his face, saying, I don't want anything to do with you or your lifestyle or your way of life or your faith. I don't want anything to do with you. All I want is your money or actually my money. And I'm going to go and I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to find me. I'm going to find my own faith. I'm going to find my own way. I'm going to do my own thing. So he lets him. He says, yeah, here, this is all that's yours. Go. And the boy goes, the young son goes. We know what happens. He, he burns all of his money. And the Bible talks about prostitutes and all the, all the crazy things that we could imagine. He lives a different lifestyle than what his dad would want him to live. He wakes up in a pig pen one day and he's eating pig food. And he has this moment where he thinks, you know what? Even the, even the farm hands back home have it better than I have it right now. He says, you know what, maybe I should go home. Maybe I should just beg and plead, get on my knees and just ask dad, hey, just let me be a farmhand, like way out in the furthest field out. Just, you know, I'll just work for some food because at least those guys have more than I have now. So I'll just go back and I'll beg and I'll plead. And the boy does. He goes home. He's preparing his speech and practicing, practicing his speech. And we know the story. The dad sees him from a long way off and the dad takes off running. He meets him in the street. He wraps his arms around him. He throws a, a robe over his shoulder. He puts a ring on his finger. He's accepted him in a heartbeat. Doesn't even let him get the story or the speech out of his mouth. He just literally accepts him. And then he says, hey, kill the biggest cow we have. Let's throw a party. Invite the neighbors because that which is lost is now found. That that was dead, is now alive. Let's throw a party. Pharisees are already a little bit like, I don't really like where this is going, but Jesus doesn't stop there. The pattern that he had started, he disrupts it. He changes it. Now what happens is he starts the second half of the same story. It's not just the tag. It's actually as important as the first part of this story. It's the second half of the story. It's like, it's like, I mean, it's not just this little thing. This really is the point because the first half of the story was about um, the bad son that was lost in his badness. The second half of the story is about the good son that was lost in his goodness. And he couldn't see what was really happening because he had all these blinders and all these rules and all these regulations and the way it had always been. And this is what happens in Luke 15. And I'm going to read a little bit, so hang with me. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. This is right after that, where the party just happened. The older son comes in. Um, he was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and he asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he, he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But the older son answered his father. He said, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. And never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate. We have to be glad because this brother of yours was dead and now is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. And this older brother cannot understand it. It does not make sense to him. He said, listen, I've done all the right things. Why am I not experiencing that party? Why in the world are you doing and acting the way that you're acting? Because listen, the system at that point, here's why this was so disruptive. The system at that point would have accepted the wayward son. 
See, so, so often we look at the Pharisees and we go, oh, the sinner, the outcast, the prostitute, the tax collector, they could have never come back to God. No, that's not true. They could have come back to God. They would have had to go through ritual cleansings. And they would have had to follow the 613 laws. And they would have had to jump through all these hoops and all these roadblocks and all these obstacles. And then, and just maybe then, they could come back into the synagogue or the house of God and be accepted once again. So had the younger son ran all the way to the door, knocked on the door, the door opened, and a stoic father looked him in the eye and said, What? And if the younger son would have completed his entire speech, and if the father would have said, okay, fine, go to the furthest field, and you start there, you be faithful there, and then I'll move you to the field that's a little bit closer, and then I'll move you to the field that's a little bit closer, and eventually I will let you back into my house. Because this was the current system. In order for someone that was far from God to be accepted by God, they had to jump through hoop after hoop after protocols and rules and regulations and roadblocks and obstacles just to get to the Father's love. But what Jesus was saying was, listen, I'm not even waiting for them to get to the door. I'm busting the door wide open and I'm running to them covered in this pig stink, covered in this mess, covered in this problem. I'm going after him. He said, right there, he stinks and he smells bad, and I'm going to put a sweet-smelling robe on him. I'm going to put a ring of acceptance on his finger. I'm going to love him right where he is. And the Pharisees could not understand this. This was breaking the system. Jesus was turning everything upside down. This is why it was so disruptive. This is the reason why a man who said, love your enemies, was executed. Because he was turning the whole thing upside down. He was flipping the whole system upside down. They they couldn't understand it. In other words, Jesus was more concerned with who was missing, and he was going after them. He was more concerned with who was missing than who was already home. And he's saying, I'm going to go after them. I'm going to defy everything. I'm going I'm to rules, regulations, forget all that. I'm going I'm to break through those obstacles. I'm going to break through those hindrances by me running to meet that kid, to meet that son. And that's what Jesus did for me. Right? I mean, that's what he did for you. He met you where you are. He met me where I am in my problems and in my sin and in my rebellion and in my stuff. He ran after me. What the Pharisees were basically saying is this, is if we were to connect it to my story of my daughter, Nora, when she was four hiding from me, we would have said, I would have said, well, I have another daughter. It's okay. I've got another one. It's okay. Or I would have said, you know what? If she wants to come home, she'll find her way home. She can walk from Target or whatever store to get home. She can just walk home, right? That's the, that's the, that's the approach that it was up to this point. And Jesus said, Mm-mm, that's not going to work anymore. I love these people too much. And I'm going to break the system to get to them. No more obstacles, no more hindrances, no more barricades, nothing. I am going to break through every bit of it so that I can get that which is lost. That's why this party was such a disruption. The second party that was, dis- that was a disruption is the very last one in this section. And it's a story that we all know. We've heard it before. It's a very, very familiar story. Matter of fact, if you grew up in church, you probably saw this story acted out on a flannel graph. Anybody remember flannel graph? I was like the iPads of 1981, right? Um, just amazing technology, analog at its best. Now, but this story is the story of Zacchaeus. Right? Zacchaeus, anybody know? You got a song that's already starting to play in your head a little bit, right? It's the story of Zacchaeus, and Luke is the only one that records this story. 
It's a very important story um, because Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. And there's a party that happens. Now, this party is a little bit smaller than the other party. Probably because Zacchaeus didn't have very many friends. And the ones he had, he probably paid for them. Right? He probably paid them to be his friends. But look at this story in Luke 19. And again, we're going to read a little bit. But look at this story. It's a familiar story, but let's read it together. Luke 19, verse 1. It says this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. So literally, this was the last stop on his tour. Okay, the road trip is coming to an end. Jerusalem is the next town. It's the next city. He's coming through Jericho on his way. Palm Sunday's next. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see uh, who Jesus was. But because he was a wee little man and a wee little man was he, he could not see over the crowd. You're with me now, right? It's all coming back. Flannel graph and all, baby. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree so that he could see Jesus since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached that spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, immediately, I must stay at your house today. He immediately said to Zacchaeus, hey, look, I'm going to you today. I'm going into your story. I'm going into your home. I'm going into your world. I'm not expecting you to come to mine. I'm going to yours. So he came down at once, and he welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Again, there's those Pharisees, those older brothers, that immediately going, whoa, 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 roadblock. Whoa, 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 hey, where are all the rules? Hey, well, this is not how it works. This is not the way the system is. But Zacchaeus stood up, and he said to the Lord, look how powerful this is. This is life change. He says, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, which we know he would have cheated a lot of people out of a lot of things, I will pay back four times the amount. So Jesus says this, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham, because this man too is a part of this family. This man too, even a tax collector, is a part of the new kingdom that I'm building. It's not just you guys that got it all together. It's even this guy that doesn't have it together. I'm bringing everybody into this kingdom. And then he says this, we come full circle. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He says, let me explain something to everybody. The reason this Zacchaeus story is happening, the reason the prodigal is happening, the reason the lost coin and the lost sheep are happening, the reason why all these parties are happening is because the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's why I'm here. It all comes full circle. And he says, listen, does everybody get this yet? This is what's going on. The story of Zacchaeus is the story of the prodigal in real life. It's the story of the prodigal. It's the story of the father, Jesus, full of love and compassion, going to him and saying, listen, I'm going to go to you. I'm going to go to your home. I'm going to go into your life, and I'm going to bust through all the obstacles and the roadblocks, and I'm going to get to you because I love you. It's a powerful story about God's love and how much Jesus will, will literally seek after those that are lost. But here's the question, and here's where I want to end today. Because every single one of us in a story like this, we play a part in this story. And I wonder, who are we in this story? The story of Zacchaeus. Like, who are you in that story? Unfortunately, a lot of us, a lot of us are the crowd in this story. We're keeping Zacchaeus. We're keeping the lost. We're keeping the hurting. We're keeping the outcast from actually seeing Jesus. Now he's, he's back there and he's running around and he's trying to see because a lot of people in our world want to see Jesus. 
They want to see the real expression of this Jesus that we all talk about. But man, there's so many roadblocks and we create a lot of them. There's so many obstacles and maybe for some it's an older brother obstacle. And it's get your life cleaned up and get your act together and, get, and, li- and live by the Christian rules and values. And then we will call you a Christian. And then we, will, then we will believe that Jesus accepts you. Maybe that's the roadblock. Maybe that's the obstacle. And that's who you are. Your back is to the Zacchaeuses of the world. And they can't even see Jesus because you won't let them. And then some of us, it may just be unintentional. It, it may just be that we live our life in such a way that we don't even realize that Zacchaeus is back there. We don't even realize that he's trying to see Jesus. Because look at, look at what this verse says in 19.3. It says this, Luke 19.3. He wanted to see who Jesus was. I believe there are so many people in our world right now that want to see who Jesus is. And for whatever reason, there's been obstacle and roadblock, whether it's a professor, whether it's, it's a bad church experience, whether it's a scandal after scandal, or whether it's some, some hate-filled religious speak that someone's done on Facebook, or whatever it is, roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. But I believe that within every single person, there's something so deep within that is just like Zacchaeus, that they want to see who Jesus is. In other words, they want to know, is this thing real? Because he's changed the world, there's no doubt about it. There are millions of people that follow him. All these incredible things that have happened deep within so many people, they really want to see Jesus. But so many of us have become the crowd and we're actually keeping them from seeing him. We're just another version of the older brother. We've just created an obstacle, a roadblock, a problem. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to get through all of y'all if I got to because I'm getting to the one I love. I'm getting to the lost. The other option for us is not the crowd but to be the tree. To be the tree. To be the one that lifts up a Zacchaeus. That props him up and makes it possible for him to actually see Jesus. Because the question is, do I see Jesus? And the second question is, is who through my life is seeing Jesus? Who am I pointing? I mean, are there people, are there Zacchaeuses in my life, in my world right now that, that I'm hindering them from seeing Jesus? Or I'm helping them see Jesus? Am I in some way lifting them up so that they can put their eyes on him? Because when someone puts their eyes on Jesus and connects with him, all of a sudden, most of their questions get answered. Everything begins to click and everything begins to connect and everything begins to change. So in my life, am I a tree or am I the crowd? Am I an obstacle or am I helping someone see Jesus? That's the question we've got to ask ourselves. How can I help someone see Jesus? The first way is this, they have to see him through me. You know, in our world today, the only way people see Jesus is through me. That's how people see Jesus. It's the way that I live. It's the way that I act. It's it's by, because so many people want to know, is this resurrection life even real? Is this abundant life real? Is is the power of grace and, and love, all these things, is it real? The only way they will know it's real is when they see it in us, is when it flows through us is whenever they experience it because of us. In other words, whenever we go ahead of him and we point to him. And in uh, Luke 10, there's a story where Jesus sends out his disciples, his 12 disciples, and he sends them out ahead of him. And then in the very next part, he sends out 72 disciples. And look at what it says. There's the same exact story, but one's with 12, one's with 72. And then he says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. There's a lot of lost people out there. 
There's just not very many people that are willing to go ahead of me and point the world to me. There's just not a whole lot of people that are willing. In this case, there's only 72, but in our world today, I mean, how many people are really willing to go ahead of him, to be the tree that ultimately points people to Jesus? Our words, our actions, our life, our value, everything that we do, everything that we are, that they they see and they feel the resurrection life of Jesus Christ flowing through us. Are we that? Can we be that? Because our world, the world around us, the Zacchaeuses that are kind of wanting to peek over the shoulder and kind of wanting to see, they're wanting to know. And they are relying on us to be that. The second thing I would say is this. I have to see them through him. This is so important. But I've got to see the lost. I've got to see Zacchaeus. I've got to see those that are pushed aside and marginalized. I've got to see them through the eyes of Jesus. And to realize just how valuable every single human being is to Jesus Christ. Every single person that I ever lay eyes on is someone that Jesus Christ died for. Whether I agree with their lifestyle or not. Whether I'm okay with the decisions they make. Whether I'm okay with the way they treat their kids. Whether I'm okay with it. Whatever. It doesn't matter. If they're a human being, Jesus Christ died for them. And I've got to see people through the eyes of Jesus Christ. I've got to. It's the only way it's going to happen. It's the, listen, here's the thing. The, the experts say that by the year 2020, that one-third of the world's population will be nearsighted, diagnosed nearsighted, one-third. Why? Because of the rise of the machines, right? devices, technology, you know, iPads, iPhones, whatever. One-third of the world's population. But I would say that the majority of the spiritual population is already nearsighted. That we have a spiritual nearsightedness. That the longer you've been a Christian, the smaller your bubble has gotten. To where all you see crystal clear is those things that are closest to you and most important to you. We've created our own little culture, our own little world, your own little, you know, this is my wants, my preferences, this is the kind of church that I want, this is the kind of small group that I want, this is the kind of Bible study that I want. Like, it's all about me, it's all about me. And, And the longer we're a Christian, the smaller that little bubble gets where we see really, really clear. Outside of that bubble, everything's fuzzy. Everything, we don't, it doesn't even make sense to us anymore. The longer you've been a Christian, the tighter that bubble gets where you see clear. And I'm telling you, the only way we, we reach people, the lost people that Jesus wants us to reach, the Zacchaeuses that can't see, is by bursting that bubble and being able to see the way Jesus sees the people that are hurting. The people that need us to be Jesus, to walk into their life and to be resurrection life, flesh and blood, pointing them to Jesus Christ. That's who we've got to be, but we're not going to get there until we see people the way that Jesus sees people. Let me wrap up with this question. Do you really believe that your friends who are far from God would be better off if Jesus were at the center of their lives? This is such an important question. It's a question to ask ourselves. Like, do I really believe that? Or is this just kind of like my little thing? And I want to raise good kids, and I want to be a part of a cool small group and know people that have similar values. And it's nice. It's neat. It works. And I can, I can, I can turn that comment off on Facebook. I can, I can ignore those things on the news. I can ignore those other kind of people. I can, I can just ignore all that kind of stuff. But I, I got this. I'm okay. Or do we really believe that every single human being would be better off if Jesus Christ were at the center of their life? That their life would be changed? If they would be accepted and loved and filled with grace and mercy. Like, do we really believe that? 
Because we cannot be the kind of church that lives any other way. We can't be the kind of people, we can't be the the kind of family that lives any other way, that that can't look at someone and see them through the eyes of Jesus Christ, that would bust through every obstacle, would bust through every hurdle, would bust through every preference, would would bust through every want and desire that I have, would bust through everything so that I can get to that that's lost. And I can reach that person. And next weekend's Easter, which we've said, it's one of the most, it's one of the, the most successful times to invite someone to church. But this goes so far beyond Easter Sunday to being a way to live. A way to live is the reason why we're going into the Middle East. It's the reason why that was so, like, like we're going to seek and save. We're going to be Jesus. We're going to do everything that we can do to go after those that very few people are going after right now. Because that's the way Jesus is. God, break our heart for what breaks yours. Let us see people the way you see people. Let us not be satisfied in our bubble and in our little, in our little culture and our little world and our little preferences. God, bust all of that. Make us uncomfortable. When we see someone that's lost, Lord, make us uncomfortable that, we, that we, our heart breaks for them, just like your heart breaks. Lord, I just pray right now, God, for just a, a reality to set in in this moment, a conviction. God, we, we want to be, as a people of God, Lord, we want to be everything you've called us to be. Lord, we don't want to pick and choose. We don't want to buffet this thing where there's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. But, God, we truly want all, all that you have for us, God. We want to be everything you called us to be, God. And this is part of it. Lord, just like I need to see you clearly, God, I need to be pointing people to you so that they can see you clearly. Lord, may my life reflect you. May my life have your grace flowing through me and your love flowing through me and your presence flowing through me, God, so that every single person I come in contact with will feel and sense and know, God, that you are real. Lord, we love you. If you'll just keep your head bowed and your eyes closed for just a second, I I just believe that there are people here and at every campus right now that don't know Jesus Christ. Maybe it's been a long time, but... For whatever reason today, maybe through this message or the day, communion, worship, I don't know, something, you're just beginning to see Jesus. And some questions are being answered. And today you feel like it is the day that you want to give your life to Christ. Maybe you're a little bit like Zacchaeus. You've been trying to see Jesus. And maybe for t- just today, for some reason, it just the, 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 the thing switched on and you see him and, and you want to know him. I just want to give you that opportunity before we leave today. So if that's you and you say, yeah, today's the day, I want to I surrender my life to Jesus. I want to follow him. I don't even know what that means necessarily, and we're going to help you with that part. But you just say, listen, I, I'm all in. I, I want to know him. I want to see him. Like, I want to be a part of this family. If that's you, just raise your hand right now. Don't be shy. Don't be timid. Go ahead and lift your hand right now everywhere. I see one. I see two. Come on, go ahead. Every campus right now, three, four, just lift it up. All right, let's pray this prayer together. Church family, we're all going to pray this prayer. But if your hand is up, pray this prayer. Believe it in your heart. Pray, Jesus, come into my life and change me forever. I give you my sin. I give you my preferences. I give you my wants. Today I want you. I want to know you. Forgive me and come into my story and change me forever. Amen.